Hi, I'm Robert Osborne. Hope you're having a good weekend. We're doing our best to keep the good times coming with a double feature from one of our favorite actors here at TCM, James Gardner. He was the only really major movie star I ever met who didn't seem to care a lick about the stardom he attained. Oh, he took his work seriously and always gave his best shot when it came time to do it. But for him, acting was just a job, a means to an end. He needed money to make a living in order to live and his life and raise his family and acting just happened to be his job. Sticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. It's Ticklish Business, the podcast devoted to honoring and constructing the world of classic cinema. I'm your host, Kristen Lopez. And I'm Samantha Ellis. Jerry Clark is not here this week, but we miss her, and she is here in spirit, as always. But we have a very special guest in her place today. We have the fantabulous Gigi Garner, who you might know uh, as the amazing daughter of our favorite actor on this podcast, James Garner. Gigi, how are you today? I am great. How are you? Oh, my gosh. We are so excited Hopefully you haven't listened to all of our episodes because I usually am the one talking about how much I love your dad. Um, and it gets a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> but we thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. You are both not just uh, James Garner's daughter, you're an animal rights activist. You do all sorts of amazing charity work. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're what you're doing these days and the basics. Like what's going on with you lately? Um, well, thanks for asking. I, I appreciate that. I last year on Father's Day, I decided that I would try to merge my love of animal rescue with my father's legacy. And I created a charity, a 501c3, called the James Garner Animal Rescue Fund. And it's called JG Arf. And my dad is a huge animal lover. And so I mostly spend my time on rescuing death row animals and helping other rescues with their emergencies or evacuations or medical care or food or whatever it is they need. So basically, I am a full-time philanthropist at the moment, which I absolutely adore. It's such a blessing to be able to help animals. I can't even tell you. That is amazing. Do you remember the, the first pet you, you had at your house? Oh, yes. When I was six years old, my parents got me a little puppy. It was a, an Australian silky. And I named him after my dad. So his, his name, this is the craziest name. His name was Jim Jim. Oh. So I knew my dad. At six, I knew my dad's name was Jim. We named him Jim Jim Jimmer Immer Nimmer Bimmer Garner. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a funny picture. I think I have a picture up on my website, jgr.org, of Jim Jim and my dad somewhere. But yeah, I my parents were huge animal lovers and dog lovers and grew up with a dog in the house forever. And my dad, so the day he died, he had his dogs around him. Wow, that is awesome. I, I'm fostering kittens in my free time. So now that we're all, you know, in, in the house, I Aww. figure I might as well do a good deed. And kitten fostering is amazing, but so exhausting Aww. at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> they're babies. Exactly. Exactly. They're they're adorable 
and you love them, and so they're, you know, whining at three in the morning, and you just want to sleep. It's like, well, I don't have children, okay? It's just, I'm like, kittens are the happy medium. <laughs> yeah, my rescues are my children. I don't have children either. So exactly, exactly. Refer. Sam, feel free to throw in questions at any time. I know I got to, usually we were used to a full house, so we're all like talking over each other. So feel free to throw out anything. Yeah, I I honestly love hearing the, the stories about the connection to animals, because when I look at a person and I kind of like value, is, is this a nice person? Is this a good person to be around? One of the first things for me is, do they love animals? So hearing that you and your dad both have such, had such a passion for animals, that is really amazing to hear. Aw, thank you. To go off of that, you know, and Sam, Sam's heard this story before, but, you know, I'm fortunate to interview some amazing uh, old Hollywood stars every now and then. And I usually, I, to go off of that, I usually determine if a person is really awesome. I asked them about your dad, uh, James Garner, and, and working with him, I asked Rita Moreno ah. about him uh, a couple couple months ago. And everybody, I know you've written about this in uh, the, the section of his autobiography where you know, everybody's talking about him, but you wrote about how, you know, it's rare to find a person like that who doesn't have a bad word said against him. And I can tell you for a fact, that is very true because Rita Moreno was so excited. I don't think she gets asked enough about her, her work um, opposite James Garner. And she said he was the mm -hmm. nicest person in the world, you know, always appreciated women, had a lot of women friends. That was very rare. And considering her struggles in, in the industry, he was very welcoming to her. And I was like, that's amazing. So I feel like you can tell a lot of, about a person by if they have a really good James Garner story. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, it's funny because I've heard so many stories about some of the things that my dad did that, you know, just people have emailed me or sent me messages on social media, et cetera, about personal stories they had about my dad. And it just always amazes me about some of the things he did because I had no idea. And my dad was very sort of quiet about, you know, when he did something for someone, he would never tell anyone. And so I'd have to find out from the people that he did it for uh, later on. But uh, I've heard just some incredible stories that have really made me cry because he wasn't perfect. No one's perfect, but he had a huge a humanitarian outlook and he was one of the people that accepted everyone no matter what he marched on Washington you know with Martin Luther King when it wasn't a popular thing to do in Hollywood but yeah. he didn't care it was important to him to support civil rights and my dad stood, stood up for the principle of the thing and he also fought for the underdog. And that is one of the things I really, truly appreciate about him. People know him as an actor and they know him through his work, but I really don't know him through that way. I just know him through my dad as a person, as a human being. And as a human being, he was somebody who lived his life by the golden rule. And that's very rare. Oh, I was just going to say, that's, that's honestly so fascinating. I will say, uh, for one thing, reading about the March on Washington in his book, The Garner Files, that was one of my favorite parts. And I love oh. the, the photographs that are in the book. And I've always been a really huge fan of Diane Carroll. I had the pleasure to meet her yeah. before she passed. And seeing the picture of her and Jim holding hands in the March on Washington was like yeah. really amazing to see. But on that yeah. note, I, I do find it really interesting because I've met and I've talked to other 
children of classic film stars. And there's always that pressure to either continue their legacy or to be the resident expert on their parents. And I'm wondering if you ever feel that pressure <laughs> to be like a James Garner expert to know all of his movies. I am not. I'm, not I'm a James Garner expert in the human being, but I'm not a James Garner expert in his work. But I will say I didn't feel pressure to continue his legacy. I just really wanted to because I want to make sure people don't ever forget him and some of the things that he did because he did a lot of things outside of the industry that maybe people don't know about. And I just don't want people to forget him. But I did feel pressure growing up because I am representing him and anything that I do that could be considered not good. Right. <laughs> like, no, for you sure. know, any, you know, I mean, a lot of celebrity children get caught up in a lot of different things. And so I always did feel the pressure to honor him by being respectful and trying to do the right thing and not get into trouble and things like that. So that I did feel a little, a little bit of pressure because I was representing him. And if I did anything bad, it would reflect badly on him. And I loved my dad so much. I didn't want that to happen. Well, I mean, you, you must have a lot of eyes on you as opposed to like the regular person. Perhaps, perhaps, but <laughs> I mean, I just tried to do the right thing. I mean, he was a great role model, so that wasn't hard. Well, to go off of that, you know, Sam, Samantha brings up the pressure to, I, I guess, how can you talk a little bit about asserting your own identity? I think there's also that weird pressure to, especially with some children who maybe look like their parents, you know, they have to be an actor and they try to do that and continue that legacy there. How did you want to assert your own identity while still maintaining, you know, the Garner quote-unquote brand, so to speak? Well, you know, throughout my life, I've done some things, but I realized that I would never do anything greater than my dad <laughs> has done. So it's really kind of futile in a lot of respects. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a Christian songwriter for many years at Word Records. I wrote three number one Christian songs. I've written a couple of books that were published that did well. But I realized no matter what I ever do, it's never going to be good enough. So I'm good. I'm fine with it. I love my dad. I'm very proud of my dad. So I have no problem talking about him. And I'm not worried about asserting myself. My biggest concern now is continuing on his legacy, make sure people don't forget him by having James Garner Animal Rescue Fund. That will keep his name alive, his legacy alive, and his name relevant, I hope. And that is a goal. I know you've talked about, because you and Sam talked about this briefly, you know, there's with any fandom, you know, there comes the people that kind of try to co-opt it for themselves. I know you've talked about the litany of you know, Facebook groups that are not necessarily associated with you or the family. How do you look at the fandom that's come up in the last couple of years over classic film, whether that's the abundance of podcasts or, you know, the, the rise of Facebook groups and, and all of that? Well, you know, I am, on, on, in one respect, really thrilled that there are so many people that remember every single episode of The Rocker Files, and they know all the dialogue from Murphy's Romance, and <laughs> they tell me they watch The Great Escape all the time. It is really heartwarming to know that people still remember him. And, you know, it's funny because my dad was an actor for decades and decades and decades, but 
like the younger people really only know my dad from the notebook. They don't know him from Maverick or the Rockford Files. They know him as the old guy from Um, the notebook. Unless they're nerds like Samantha and I, and then we know about the notebook and all the the older stuff. That's always um, the yeah. one that I throw out to people. Like, you know, okay, it's funny. No, you, you probably haven't seen Support Your Local Sheriff, but The Notebook. <laughs> <laughs> but The Notebook. I'm like, have you seen The Notebook? And they're like, yeah, I go, the old guy from The Notebook. That's it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I do think that it's wonderful that he sort of straddled the line between classic cinema and modern cinema. He really did make an impact because he was in, like, Atlantis as well and that's you know like a whole other audience that would not have known who he was otherwise one of my favorite parts about Disney films is that there are so many amazing classic movie actors who did voices and oh yeah definitely one of the one of the better ones oh baby (laughs) yeah you know he did like a few really crazy things like one thing he did was Twilight with Paul Newman and Susan Sarandon Reese Witherspoon and he played the bad guy. How have I never and heard of this movie? <laughs> My dad never played the bad guy. That's one thing he did real, that was really unusual. Another thing he did was he usually, he never died in anything. And he did die in, he got an Emmy, I think, for it, for the true story of Norman Lear's brother called Heartbound, who was a heart surgeon. It was with Mary Tyler Moore. And he died in that. And I was there when they were filming it in Canada. And actually, you know, I hung around a lot just because, you know, I was there while he was filming. And he actually made me leave that day because it would, he said it would just be too upsetting. So <laughs> there's a fine line between I've never seen The Notebook because I know that I would get too upset. My parents didn't want me to see it. Yeah, I, so, I would totally yeah. agree with that. It's upsetting. To- yeah. In general, so yeah, my dad, you know, wasn't always my dad wasn't always that that guy from Support Your Local Sheriff or Skin Game or you know Support Your Local Gunfire or he also did another movie that he really hated called The Man Called Fledge, which he called The Man Called Fledge, <laughs> and that was a spaghetti western that he was forced into doing because he wanted to do something else, and he played a real ornery kind of nasty guy in that, I think, but. For the most part, people recognize him for Jim Rockford. Yeah, that leads to a, we had a listener question from somebody that was curious, and I'm assuming they're talking about Rockford Files, but they wanted to know what it was like. And I know you've talked about, you know, you would go to work with your dad regularly. They wanted to know what it was like to have to watch, you know, movies or or TV shows where your dad would get beaten up. (laughs) You know what? Here's the truth. I don't watch them. Oh, very true. <laughs> I I really don't. I don't sit around watching my dad on TV and movies. It's just not a TV movie star to me. He is just my dad. And that was his work. And there was a big separation between that. So it's a little confusing because I have a Facebook site for him, the official James <laughs> Garner. And sometimes I'll post a photo and then I'll get the information wrong. <laughs> and they'll have to correct me. Like I, I posted something from Maverick, the TV show. And I said, oh, the Maverick brothers counting their cash. And somebody was like, nope, that's not. That is Ephraim <laughs> Zimbalist Jr. playing, you know, so-and-so. So I was like, oops. 
because I don't sit down and watch. Now, I was a production assistant, which is a glorified gopher, on the Rockford Files during the summer. So I was around there while he was filming things. And that was so fun. But it's not that much fun for me to just sit around and watch it. <laughs> but I will say that I went to, this is a neat story. I don't think I've told this, but I went to a film festival in Sonoma and I was sitting with a friend of mine whose father had recently passed. And I looked at him and I said, this is going to be hard because I had to watch Fire in the Sky. Have you guys seen Fire in the Sky? I have not, but I know of it. It's about an alien abduction and it's a true story, according to Travis Walton. And Travis Walton was there at that film festival that night and I would have to watch that movie and I really don't watch my dad's movies I said but it was right kind of right after my dad died and I looked at him and I said this is going to be awkward I don't know how I'm going to feel about watching my dad you know because he just passed away and he said you know you're so lucky that you can watch your dad anytime he said my dad died and I don't have anything from him I don't have any film I have very few pictures and I just went oh Good point. <laughs> yeah. So well, I am lucky in that respect. Yeah. One star child in particular that I think of is Grace Kelly's son. She, he specifically says sort of the opposite. sees her movies as a way to mm-hmm. to remember her and everything. So I think that's really interesting. But you mean Prince Albert? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fact, yeah. We we met them and they were friends. He, she was friends with my dad and. And they came to the set of Grand Prix in Monaco when my dad was shooting Grand Prix. And they also came to the set in California when he was shooting something. I forget what it was, but I got to meet them and they were lovely, lovely people. Amazing. That's so amazing. Yeah, I I thought it was so fascinating to to hear that. And in fact, fun fact, uh, when Grace Kelly married Prince Rainier, they criminalized her movies in Monaco. They didn't want to mm. see her kissing other men while she was right. be the princess of Monaco. And then or after they passed away, Prince Albert decriminalized her movies. So on that note, I do think it's really interesting because in one of our earlier conversations, you mentioned that, that you went to USC film school. So I did. It, it's really interesting to me. Would you say that your dad's work was an inspiration there, or did you have, like, a separate connection to film? I think, like, I grew up around film, and so it was more or less a natural progression for me to major in film. Perhaps that was it. Maybe I wasn't too well-versed in anything else and didn't know what else to do. I am in the process of taking over my dad's production company, and I do have a couple projects I want to make, but... Obviously, everything's on hold right now. Yeah. (laughs) That's really fascinating, though. I mean, that's a whole other way to continue his legacy that I think is so great. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice. I think I have a few obstacles to overcome, but making a film or producing a film is not like going to film school. It's nothing like that. So I had to really educate myself into and throw myself into how to really make a film. So it's a little different. (laughs) Right. It was so fascinating. Another part of the the Garner Files that really struck me as like something that I didn't know was that he, through Cherokee Productions, he did so much of the producing of his own work. 
later on. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and hearing him talk about the process and how he was always under budget, on schedule, was just so fascinating. Like, he was very methodical about it. He was. I mean, he approached his career much differently than anybody else in the industry that I've ever seen. And that's why I recommend you read his book, <laughs> because it's so different than, I mean, my dad was the first actor to sue a major studio. And they said, you'll never work in this town again. He sued Warner Brothers over breach of contract for Maverick. And they said, you know, you're done in this industry, blah, blah, blah. And of course, he hired a guy by the name of Frank Wells, who was an attorney, entertainment attorney. And Frank Wells ended up being the president of Walt Disney, et cetera, and other places. <laughs> but uh, my dad won. And he opened the gate for other actors who felt that they were being taken advantage of. To right. And that was studios. hugely, that was like a nail in the coffin for the studio system as a whole. A little bit. but. You know, studio system is a system. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, to go to it's go off of that, how do you look at film today and and Hollywood in general, just just as a consumer? Well, you know, I went for a long time after going to film school. You see so many films. I was so burnt out, so I didn't see films for many many years. I just didn't want to go to the movies. Now. It's a little different. And lately, I'm completely addicted to PCM. And I'm into film noir, like, big time. And I don't see very many contemporary films. You are like Samantha. I'm a crazy film noir person right now. It's, it's insane. But I love PCM. I absolutely love it to death. And... They play a lot of my dad's movies on there. They do. I just I just watched a Grand Prix for the first time two days ago. Oh, what did you think? I, you know, I wish I. They played it at the PCM Film Festival, I think, two years ago on the big Cinerama Dome, and I feel like yeah. if I had seen it on that, it might have. It yeah. probably works better than on my, you know, my TV that I was working with at home. But I loved Tim and Jessica Walter. Like that was for me so amazing to watch the two of them interact. You know, I'm not a big race car person, but it, I mean, it looks the cinematography is gorgeous. I was like, damn, I wish I had gone to see that. Cinerama Dome projection of it because I know you know what back in 1966 it premiered at the Cinerama Dome and you cannot imagine the excitement in the theater with the music etc it won an Oscar I believe mm -hmm. for the music and for the editing as well but they did a lot of innovative things that they had never done before like putting a camera on the race car yeah um that had never been done before. And all the actors in there, believe it or not, had never driven even a car before. Wow. <laughs> they didn't have driver's licenses because they were all from Europe. And you didn't. they had public transportation. They didn't really need to drive. And so my dad, though, went to Bob Bondurant driving school and learned how to be a race car driver and did all the driving and many of the stunts himself. Wow. I don't know if you know, but I had watched a documentary, I think a couple of years ago, that was about Steve McQueen. And they had talked about how there was a little 
bit of a rivalry between Steve McQueen and James Garner because Steve McQueen was filming Le Mans at the same time as he was filming Grand Prix and they were in the same hotel room or the same hotel together. And I think Steve McQueen was like one floor above that there was like this kind of feud between the two of them because they were both making very similar films. And I don't necessarily know if I believe that, but that's the story that this documentary was going with. Yeah, that's not really what happened. But what's very interesting is the competition was between Steve McQueen and Steve McQueen. (laughs) (laughs) That I buy. a competition... You need to have two people. (laughs) My dad and Steve were friends and we were neighbors. They lived behind us. And Steve was very competitive with my dad. And my dad just wasn't competitive at all. And they went to make uh, The Great Escape. And it just so happened that my dad hates like ties and things like that. (laughs) And so my dad's uh, wardrobe sitting was before Steve's. And there were outfits to pick from. And my dad picked a turtleneck. Well, when Steve got there, he wanted the turtleneck. Of course. <laughs> and he was telling the director that he to tell Jim that he couldn't wear the turtleneck. And, of course, if you've seen the film, my dad was wearing the turtleneck. Mm-hmm. You know, he <laughs> did a few things that just weren't very polite as neighbors. I don't know. You can dig into that if you want. But, you know, my dad wasn't wasn't competitive with Steve. But it was always a thing like, my dad was tall, dark, and handsome, and Steve was fair, blonde, and short. And it just seemed like Steve was always competing with my dad, and Grand Prix was made before Le Mans. And also, I just want to say on behalf of, of Grand Prix that everybody in the industry has said that Grand Prix is the best racing film if you're a racing buff. Easily. It is the best racing film in the history of film. And even Ron Howard said it, and he made Rush. He did, yeah. So there. When Ford v. Ferrari came out last year, I, I remember tons of people bringing up Grand Prix, too. So, I mean, it still has that longevity. Well, I know, Sam, it would, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask. You know, you brought up film noir. What are your favorite film noirs? Because I need more recommendations. Uh, oh, my favorite, favorite film noir is Lolita. Really? I mean, it's not film noir, but it's an old film. And it's long, long, long. But I usually don't watch films more than once. But I have watched Lolita so many times because there's so much. I see something new every single time. But for whatever it's worth, Lolita is probably my favorite film. I'm not really so happy. It's a little bit of a crime thing, but it's just <laughs> a weird movie. But... um. I just watched Dilda the other day. That's not film noir, but I I just love old films. Old films are fabulous. And I'd never seen really Rita Hayworth before, but wow, she was amazing. Oh my gosh. Gilda, um, Gilda is fantastic. Gilda is a film noir. It does count. I know. I think, uh, yeah, I think Eddie okay, Mulder has said it counts. Yeah. So, you know, okay. the, okay. the czar of noir. So we, we take his, his, uh, definition seriously, <laughs> but no, I mean, Gilda, Gilda is fantastic. I was just watching the, the Robert Mitchum, Jane Russell noirs that they um, made this week. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's yeah. great. There's, yeah. oh my gosh. Have you guys seen Lolita? I have, yes. yes. It's, it's definitely a yeah. favorite of mine as well. 
oh my gosh, it's just the craziest. The music is like the best thing ever. It's, I've also. seen I've seen the original, I've seen the remake, and I've read the book because I was an English major. So I love the book. Oh. Many people will call me a weirdo who, who knows way too much about Lolita in general. So I always feel less weird when other people like, like the original. So yay. <laughs> you know, I wanted to bring up, um, if I could, yeah. my dad's favorite film which is the Americanization of Emily that he did with Julie Andrews. It's so good. It's so great. I love it. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) So if somebody's looking for a great intellectual, interesting film by, I believe, Patty Chayefsky wrote it. Yes. The Americanization of Emily with Julie Andrews is very, is highly recommended. I think his love for that film shines so much in the book, and especially for the script, because... In the book, you literally see he has pages of just the dialogue in the book. Yeah. Straight yeah. out of the film. Yeah. I thought that was too funny. But yeah, definitely. He I, and he loved Julie Andrews and he loved working with her. I will say, I've got to throw out my favorite film of your dad. I think 36 what? Hours is incredibly oh, underrated. Okay. The fact I that like people don't too. talk about that one, I love it. They don't know about it. I don't right. Think. But that is I, a weird well, movie. Yeah, I always throw that one out when I'm trying to talk uh, to other people about, about Jim. I always say, I talk about the plot, and then by the end, they're like, I have to watch this movie. But of course, um, <laughs> seeing him and Eva Marie Saint, who I absolutely adore yeah. as well, in one film together as well, and Rod Taylor. Well, she was in uh, Grand Prix with my dad also. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they shared any. I don't think they though. did. Yeah, she, they were they separate. They didn't. But they, you know, personally, we were great, great, great friends with her and her husband. So they were great family friends. I mean, I I used to go on vacation with them all the time because the kids were my age, and they they were practically neighbors as well. So we saw a lot of them. That's amazing. Oh my goodness, I love that. I didn't get the chance to mention it when you guys were discussing it earlier, but I did see Grand Prix at the Cinerama Dome during the fest. Okay. I did. I absolutely had to. Racing and, and James Garner and even Marie Saint, like the fact that she was going to be there as well, I couldn't pass it up. They actually had, they passed out like replica programs that were, they had um, the whole the oh, same wow. design as they did during the premiere. And in the lobby, they had one of the cameras that was used to film it. Oh, neat. And then they had, of course, Leonard Malton interviewing Eva Marie Saint, who said that she didn't really care for the film anymore because it was so loud. (laughs) (laughs) It is loud. I'll give her that. Yeah. My (laughs) personal experience watching that film, I will say it was either a smart decision or a, a not smart decision. I sat in the front row. Wow. That's commitment, Because Sam. I wanted to be as close to Eva Marie saying it's possible for an interview <laughs> after the film was over. Uh, I ended up being like five feet away, which was amazing. But cool. on the flip side, I had to watch basically this free IMAX film leaning back <laughs> with the sound black. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's one way to experience the film for the first time. I'll tell you that much. But, it, of course, uh, it really signs in that uh, medium. And, yeah. And, and there were some few Cinerama films, but True. in particular, that one had to be Cinerama. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because of the 
camera work, the montage editing and all of that, it really makes it a better experience, uh, I'll say. Well, I was curious, you know, I know I know you don't watch a lot of your dad's films now, but what was it like as a child? Did you were there kind of those family trips to premieres? Did you watch his movies when they came out as a family? What was that interaction with his films like growing up? I think I was there a lot when he was filming because back in the day, you know, movies took a long time to make. They oh, took, yeah. Sometimes they took nine months to make. I was there during the filming of Grand Prix as well. In fact, I actually got to go. My dad put me in his lap in the race car. Oh my I got gosh. to go around the racetrack wow. at Brands Hatch. I think I was only like eight at the time, but I did go to premieres with, you know, my parents, but uh, we never like sat around and watched the films. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we went to premieres because that was part of my dad's job was to show up at the premiere to promote it. But no, it was not. I do remember one time when I was really little and my dad made a film with Doris Day. He made two films with yes. Doris Day, but the one where it's the thrill of it all mm-hmm. and he drives the car into the swimming pool. Yeah. Iconic. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, my mom took me to an actual theater to see that film. And I was too little to really understand what was going on. So I started screaming in the theater (laughs) because I thought my dad was drowning. Oh, no. And I think maybe that was the last time I went to a theater (laughs) (laughs) when I was little to see my dad because I couldn't separate it because I was too little. Wow. That's such a fantastic story. That reminds me of the story that Mike Douglas tells about screaming in the theater when he sees Kirk Douglas in... (laughs) Lust for life when he cuts his ear off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I know. When you're little, you just, I never really got it. I didn't understand, like, why people were so interested in my dad. I know why I was so interested in my dad, because he was my dad. But I didn't understand when I was a kid growing up, what, what was the deal? <laughs> why wouldn't they leave us alone during, during dinner? Or, you know, I didn't really get it. It took me a while. A slow learner. Well, we did have another listener question. I don't know if you'd be able to answer this. And I was really surprised that somebody asked it. But somebody wanted to know what your dad's favorite book was, what he liked to read. He loved Larry McMurtry. That makes a lot of sense. He read a lot. (laughs) Well, he did Streets of Laredo, isn't it, Larry McMurtry? My dad read a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. He was a very, very avid, avid reader. And he loved, like, mysteries and things like that. But I think probably one of his favorites was Larry McMurtry. All of us talk about noir and all of us talk about your dad. I I keep wondering, like, what he would have been like in a noir. Well, he technically did make okay. a noir. Marlo um, is a bit of a oh, noir. Oh, yeah, Marlo. It's kind of 70s, but... It's yeah, I mean, I have black and white. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If you haven't seen Marlo, oh, my gosh. That is a... I've seen parts of it, but... There, I'm not going to give it away, but it's, there's some really cool parts. Oh, my that. gosh, it's We're great. Recording with Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Rita Moreno. It was Bruce Lee's, yeah, exactly. Bruce Lee's first film, I believe. I think, I think, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Um, that's that's a great version of Marlowe for sure. Yeah, now that you know, I don't know. Is 36 Hours? Wait, is Children's Hour film noir? 
I don't think so. I don't think about that. I think it and Audrey Hepburn. It's a weird, it's a weird kind of dark, kind of strange kind of film. But I really who doesn't love Audrey Hepburn? I know, I know. It's it's amazing to watch some of the. To go back to talking to Rita Moreno about him, you know, looking at some of the women that he worked opposite. I mean, titans of of that time, like Doris Day and Audrey, and the fact that he is able to hold his own, you know, some, I know some uh, actors of that time period, you know, felt really intimidated by having a bigger female star act opposite them, you know, like think of like the Clark mm-hmm. Gables and stuff like that. But I yeah. mean, he, he was such a great partner in every sense of the word to the women that he acted opposite it was a great unity of balance between them where no one really overshadowed each other. You don't get that uh, with a lot of pairings any anymore. You know, what's interesting is my dad really didn't have the kind of like Hollywood ego that most people had. And so he just didn't go there. And it's really funny. I learned not that long ago that one time my parents were somewhere like at a premiere party or something. They didn't really go to parties, but like my dad would go out for work to promote something. But they ran into uh, Cary Grant. And Cary Grant pulled my dad aside and said, you, you are the only one that can hold a candle. And what he meant was, you know, Cary Grant was the Mr. Debonair, light comedy, dramatic, whatever. He could do everything. What he meant was really that my dad was the only other actor who could do what he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely accurate. My dad's jaw was on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) He was floored. And I'll tell you another thing is that John Wayne's favorite actor was my dad. And when you got got the Duke supporting you, I mean, that's kind of the seal of approval right there. I was going to say, I mean, aside from maybe horror and what, musical? I mean, those are really the only two genres I I don't think your dad ever did. Victoria's a musical. That's true. That's okay. Totally. Yeah, that's okay. He doesn't sing, but... (laughs) Which would be very interesting to see. But okay, so horror. Horror is really the only genre I don't think he necessarily <laughs> stepped into, which I would be cool. So. <laughs> he once said that somebody asked him, how come you don't do nudity? And he goes, I don't do horror films. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. that That's a perfect, perfect answer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sam, do you have anything else you want to throw out? Not that I can think of. This is such a cool opportunity and experience talking to you about him. I, I love all these stories. It's so amazing to hear. Well, we'll throw out one last question. You know, for, I know that we've talked so much about legacy and his book and, and all of that. But for you, what is the one thing about your dad that either people don't know or that has been misconstrued, but something that, you know, the, the great kind of like takeaway that you, you would want people who are learning about your dad to know. I would say my dad in real life was the funniest person I ever knew. He was just absolutely hilarious. Just in real life. He had a look, a double cake, a, a quip. He just was hilarious. He's just so funny. And I don't, he was quiet on in some respects, and he was a complex person. But I really think my dad was just so funny. He had just he was so witty. Usually, when people see my dad, he's regurgitating dialogue verbatim, and so 
he does it in his own way, in his own manner. But in real life, he was just so funny. That's awesome. Well, Gigi, thank you so much for, for taking the time to sit down and talk with us. Where can fans find and get in touch with you online, learn about your charities, anything you want to throw out? Feel free to, to throw it out here. Oh, that would be lovely. Well, my charity, if you love animals or want to help me carry on this legacy, you can go to www.jgarf.org, O-R-G, so it's jgarf.org, and check out our photos and some of the rescues and some of the animals. And we have an in-memoriam section if you want to post your animal up there for a donation. And if you want to support us, I am on Twitter. I'm very active on there. It's Mavrocks Girl. So it's a combination of Maverick and Rockford. Mavrocks <laughs> Girl. <laughs> girl. At Mavrocks Girl. GG and James Garner on Twitter. And then the official Facebook, what is that? So people don't end up um, going to the wrong one. If you go to my Twitter, it's pinned at the top. But it's basically the facebook.com backslash James official James Garner. So it's official James Garner. It's not the fan Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's just the official James Garner. And you told me you know that you found the right one when the banner is his oh. autograph. Yeah, his signature is at the top. And then one more thing I wanted to um, throw out. You also mentioned that you have merch. I do. I have a bunch of just funny merchandise that I came up with and designed to help the charity. All the proceeds go to my 501c3. I have a store on Teespring, and it's the official James Garner if you go to teespring.com backslash official James Garner, I think it's, there's a dash in between. It's on teespring.com and it says official James Garner. So hopefully it'll come up. But I have some silly things on there. Like I have what would Jimbo do t-shirts and mugs. And I have some photos from, I like Jimbo for president. I have a mug for that. And I, I have some just fun stuff up here that I, I have a original artwork. Remember the Yellow Pages ad for the Rockford Files? Mm-hmm. I have the original artwork from the show, the graphics. And so I made T-shirts, yellow T-shirts out of the, the uh, Yellow Pages ad. And I have some original artwork of, the, of Rockford for Rockford and things like that. People have been very kind to support me. And all the proceeds go to my 501c3. Thanks, guys. That's going to close out this edition of Ticklish Business. As always, if you want to follow what Samantha and I are doing, you can follow me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. I also have my classic film pod, your classic film website at journeysandclassicfilm.com. If you want to follow Drea Clark, she's at the Drea Clark. Um, she also does her other show, Who Shot You, over at Maximum Fun. And Samantha Ellis, where can fans find and get in touch with you? What's going on with your blog? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Classic Film Geek, and you can find my blog at musingsofaclassicfilmaddict.com, and you can find my Cooking with the Stars post every month at classicmoviehub.com. And you can always email the podcast your questions, comments, suggestions at ticklishbiz, that's B-I-Z, at gmail.com, and our Twitter 
to keep you in the know about what's going on is at ticklish underscore biz. If you want to help the podcast out by uh, supporting us via Patreon, you can do that over at patreon.com slash ticklish biz. You get these episodes 48 hours early. You get access to all sorts of pins, DVDs, and Blu-ray gifts. We have our new here, the tailor that also allows you to guest on a future episode. If you want to do that, you can find all that information over at uh, patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. We're going to keep our road to 100 episodes going. We don't really know what our schedule is because we're beholden to special guests. So hopefully you will be back with us next time when we hope to have another big guest talking about classic films. Bye-bye.